2: But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Winston Preparatory School is a leading school network for students with learning disabilities. Learn more about Winston Prep and register for an open house at www.winstonprep.edu.
0: And welcome back to the show. Is it happening, Melissa? Is that right? Okay, I just want to break in with myself that apparently right now there's a fire at Tiffany's, uh, and um, and it's the flagship store in Manhattan. It, I see. I'm seeing pictures of smoke coming out of the windows. Just so you know, Tiffany's has been closed and was in the process of being redone by LVMH. And had moved to like a different location for a while. But the flagship store had such a multi-multi-million dollar renovation from the inside out that there were all these New York Times Magazine stories about it. And we've been all been looking forward to it. Uh, do we have any more details on this? What do we have? Melissa's sending it to me. Hold on one second. Uh, authorities say Tiffany's flagship store is on fire on 57th Street and 5th Avenue. Reopening after renovations that took nearly three years. And it was the first holistic renovation since 1940. And the fire is reportedly active, said the fire department, but no immediate injuries. Con Ed to the scene. So that is as of 1130 this morning, live footage from the store showing firefighters shooting a hose at the building with smoke damage to be seen on the store's facade, but luckily no injuries. Okay, we're going to go back to the conversation we've been having all morning. But we're joined by a guest who's actually somebody really, I think, Particularly well versed to be able to speak on it. Dominique Johnson is with us right now. She's a state representative, serving Norwalk and Westport. What's the district, Dominique? It's
3: good well, morning. It's nice. Good, to morning. See good you. morning. Good morning. Good I'm morning. Good morning. It's a uh, district one four three. The one four three. That's right. And
0: I know you represent Westport as well as Norwalk. And this has been your freshman term. That is correct. Thrown into the fire. Yes. Deep, deep, deep well. Deep end. Deep end. Deep end. Deep end. And you have a background in education.
3: I do. I yeah. do. I'm a college professor. Um, what do you teach? I have taught in the past a bunch of different things, including educational policy. Oh. Uh, my PhD wow. is in urban education. And so I studied a lot of issues related to school climate and safety, but um, taught a pretty general. A general uh, view of education, of law and society, of women's and gender studies, and so it's been. It's been an interesting road now to the legislature. From that being a former thing, I did. And in Dominique, full-time. you
0: went to Stanford, I did. so that's an. Ivy, I mean, it's not Ivy League, but it is Ivy League, right? It's the same class, if not more so. And so this, and certainly, it has the most selective academic criteria for entrance, without question. So this decision, six to three, with uh, Chief Justice John Roberts writing. Uh, Not a surprise, right?
3: I can think it's fair to say that folks anticipate this was going to come. How it looked would be, well, now we can respond.
0: Now we can respond. And the way he wrote it was he said that it wasn't that race couldn't be a factor, but he didn't like the particular admissions criteria of Harvard and UNC. And he felt that individuals needed to be assessed One at a time. Now, with 21,000 on average applications coming into Harvard, and we're only talking about a tiny amount of elite schools here, let's just be honest about it, in the overwhelming majority of higher education places in this country, it's really not about affirmative action. It's about can you afford to pay? Do you have the generalized criteria to get in? And they're very happy to have you. But for this handful of a pipeline of a ticket to an upper middle class existence, they're still very, very selective. And so, you know, my question to you is, what are your thoughts on this, Dominique Johnson, on affirmative action in general, as it played out as you were an educator? What do you think
3: about this? Well, this has been a long road. Yes. I mean, we know that this policy. And you're younger than I am. This policy though came about you know, before I was even mm-hmm. in college, but it certainly affected my generation, I think, both in good and bad ways. And, and being somebody who's a researcher, I always try to look at things objectively. But I know that when I taught um, the case that was most significant before this in Texas, um, which we I think if you look back to that, we kind of knew that this was going to this case today. Four was, to three, was Anthony Kennedy, the deciding vote. Right. So I think that um, we know we know that this has been an ongoing conversation and probably this generation of students would would see the end of affirmative action you know, if we were reading the the tea leaves, but even reading the decisions. yes, What it means is, I think, as it has been every time the Supreme Court puts a decision down that affects higher education in particular, every college university then has to assess what this is going to mean for them in practice and their policies. That's going to be no different this time. What I find interesting is I haven't read anything yet. I've just, you you know more than I do. It's just breaking. At this point. But what I've heard is that it does not affect military academies. So I think that's an interesting carve out. Interesting. I think that's the case I would say do not – well, I'm live on the air, but but that's what I've heard from some of the, the texts coming into my phone. Okay. Um, and if that's the case, that would be interesting to figure out why they would think that's necessary. But again, uh, I need substa- I need that substantial. So they're
0: saying that private versus federal policy – so that would be interesting to me because one of my speculations was about these MBE set-asides, these minority business-owned enterprise mm-hmm. set-asides that have been part of federal policy from the GSA for decades – in which federal money, if it, let's say, to go to an engineering to build a bridge, if you can show that your company is owned by a woman or a person of minority status, that you basically get a preference to get that contract over others. So if they're carving out the military academies because there's some kind of nexus to the federal government, maybe they're not saying that those federal
3: policies are unconstitutional, but I don't know. Well, you are the attorney in this room. Yes, so. but I don't know.
0: I would have to read that.
3: <laughs> I would. Yes, I have to do a lot of reading. Because to be honest, I'm on the higher education committee at the state legislature. Are this you? Is, yes, I am. Ah. I very much wanted to be on that committee okay. based on my background. I'm also on education and judiciary. So this will come before at least one of those committees in terms of what are we going to do for the yes, state of for Connecticut UConn, now. of course right. and CT for, state and all of that that's right so i think you know that those are we you know we do a lot of work directly that affects the students lives the professors lives every day in those institutions and so this will be no different i have ima- i imagine at some point our committee is going to now, think about now you had this. said
0: that you saw that it did good and bad so what was some of the good and what was some of the bad of affirmative action
3: well what's interesting is i think a lot of the good you know in the data played this out, especially in the 80s and the 90s, that affirmative action was a policy meant to create affirmative action for diversity, meaning, well, we really, you know, women, for example, disproportionately benefited from the policy, which I think was an unintended con- consequence, particularly white women. In the 80s and the 90s, it helped bring more gender diversity into the workforce in particular. Um, there's a really great book by Carol Simpson, newslady, Lady, where she talks about how affirmative action helped her in her career, which I thought was an interesting, positive um, portrayal. But then there's also a lot of, you know, I've heard Chief Justice Sotomayor has a book that talks a lot about what it did for her. And I think that can be positive. But I know back in the 90s in college, some of my friends talked about a shadow of doubt cast upon them. Um, They were high achieving. They were African-American and Latino students. And unfortunately, because of racism, um, people felt that They were there because of some aspect that had nothing to do with their merit, but clearly we know everything. had It all had to do with their merit. But because of this policy being seen as something that just single-handedly focused on one's race or ethnic background, um, in the way a lot of people saw it, it, it meant that these folks had to constantly fight on campus to be seen for their merit, which I think is a negative. In other Um,
0: words, that they they had to try harder, even harder, because the assumption was they didn't earn their way there.
3: Or they had to educate people, frankly, who thought that they were there because of some That's aspect. what I'm saying. It's right. harder yeah. and harder.
0: They had to fight another bias. The irony, think about it, that they were supposed to get in to overcome a prior bias against them, and then when they got there, they still had to overcome a bias that they had gotten there because they didn't earn their way there. Right.
3: And I think that to your <laughs> point, it's really something. These ins- a lot of these ins- like <laughs> really, stri- it, yeah. And these traditional institutions like Harvard that are, you know, these are like back in the day, if you weren't like a white male Christian man, you didn't have a place a at these school. places. From a Right. Who had a family name, who had money. <laughs> That's what had, I was talking right? about. So, I mean, think of how far we've come. But at the same point, like some of the residual perhaps, I don't want to say, I don't know. In my own experience, I've been to schools like Stanford where they were, they. I think, from the get-go admitted women. There's different cultures. Johns right? Hopkins
0: did. And I, right? I went there in 77. They had admitted women, I think, in 74. Wow. Something right. like that,
3: maybe 69, like just a few years, handful of years. It's recent, like Yale, it's recent history, frankly. Mm-hmm. And then when we think about it, you know, I chose to go to a women's college undergrad because I wanted that. went to Bryn I did, and I Great wanted place. that experience. So yeah. I think there's always going to be a place, I think, personally, Dominique Johnson, <laughs> for these schools, HBCUs, Hispanic mm-hmm. serving institutions, sure. women's colleges, because they serve a very important purpose grounded in the history of higher education in this country that we're still not... We're, we're still in progress. Yeah.
0: Dominique Johnson, we're going to be right back. We're going to get to know you. I want to hear your thoughts reflecting uh, about this legislative session. We're with Dominique Johnson, who's representing the 143rd Westport and Norwalk in our state legislature. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
0: We're getting to know Dominique Johnson, who's with us in the studio. She represents the 143rd as a state rep in her freshman first session, uh, and that uh, includes parts of Westport and Norwalk. And, Dominique, you had said earlier you thought there was a carve-out. You were right on this uh, affirmative action decision where military academies will be allowed to continue race-based admissions citing, quote, potentially distinct interests. They are exempt from the decision. Now, what they mean by potentially distinct interests is up for anybody's speculation, but nonetheless, West Point, Annapolis, they're exempt. Okay, the Air Force Academy, okay, there you go. That was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So, Dominique, you have been through the first year of a two-year session. I want to hear from you the highs and lows. Talk about it.
3: There, there are good highs and there are good lows. We just had our delegation wrap up in Westport last night. Did you? Night. Oh, we that's a,
0: right, the Wednesday night thing. I forgot to go. Yeah, yeah.
3: All, we had a great. I can tell you little note, we had a great conversation, great questions at the end, and this literally was one of them. And, um, but a lot of it, it was to the point of like, what do you think's working and what isn't? And oh. I think that um, mm-hmm. the highs and lows are definitely connected to that. The highs are amazing people coming to the Capitol, to represent their communities, their neighbors. Um, working on things they deeply care about, um, really fighting to make sure that things get across the finish line. You know, we start with, like, some two, 3,000 bills. We only end up with barely, I would say, a few hundred. Well, um, that's even a lot. It is. It is. Um, and a lot of them, you know, I've been joking that's... Uh, It's like the song title. There's thousands of ways to kill bills in Harvard. uh, And watching that firsthand is interesting, you know. Um, But the highs of it are being able to come with a passion. I'll just speak for myself. You know, I have a passion for early childhood literacy. I have a passion for young people being able to have pathways to jobs. I saw that in being, in being a college professor, how important that is to connect with their learning to like a way they can see themselves in the future doing what they want to do. So I had two initiatives and I worked very hard to make those work and pass and build the coalition around. And so I'm really grateful that um, both of those were successful. So but what personal did you do? Highs,
0: so let me hear. What are the new changes?
3: The new changes? Well, I was very passionate about early childhood literacy, like I said. And there's a program in particular, there's three that I know of in the state. And one I've known from family and friends who've been involved is the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, that um, we were able to get allocations and what's called the appropriation of funds to expand that program in the state. I would love to see that go statewide, along with two other organizations that receive funding, um, Reach Out and Read and Read to Grow. Um, and so those three organizations are doing great work, getting zero to five year olds books, getting families to help help them scaffold them to help read to their kids. Uh, I'm really happy about that. Okay. Second is a green jobs core. So I proposed in the higher education committee a uh, w- fundamentally a workforce development training plan. Uh, there was kind of a. a little bit of a gap between an executive order and the directives for higher education to be involved in this. We have a great uh, Office of Workforce Strategy that's new. We worked in collaboration with them on the executive branch. That was great, to see that legislative executive collaboration, that right. was a high for me. Okay. And we it got signed into law earlier this week. And so what this means is we're going to make sure that the pathways are clearly articulated um, it will be shared with the legislature what the plan is, and this plan will specifically help in this in some way. I think we have to be purposeful. We know that not all professions are represented equally right in terms of opportunities, and so this makes sure that those who are underrepresented, whether it 's veterans it's women it's um, folks of certain age groups whatever however that looks in a specific industry in yeah. green jobs there's going to be marketing to those communities. what are green jobs? I think it's expanding every day, but
0: what does that mean? Does it mean mechanics who work on electric cars? What's a yes. green job?
3: Broadly, it's anybody who's helping in a field that is expanding our sustainability. Uh, whether it's solar, it's wind, it's making sure you are. There's folks that are trained to make sure buildings like this one have um, sustainability measures in place. Um, engineering it's a huge focus in engineering right okay. now, um, and anything, frankly, you know, environmental education, environmental. Um, You know, uh, folks who keep and maintain trails and parks and open spaces. It's very broad. Okay. Uh, And so this is, and these are jobs I've talked to a lot of young people. They really want.
0: Okay, good. Maybe you can work next year on getting rid of pesticides.
3: That was something we tried to do. I know. You have to keep trying. We have to that's the other thing I learned. And talk about the (laughs) negative. Got to keep (laughs) trying, Dominique. Okay. (laughs) The the negatives are you get close and Mm -hmm. it just falls apart you, you know, think? Yeah. We're watching it day to day
0: here. <laughs> we are watching it. To, and those rats at the end?
3: That's interesting. And they give you very little time to read the bill. Did this come any, up last
0: night in your discussion about yes. these rats?
3: Um, not the term rat in particular, but I know what you mean. So these things that like are either thrown in from other bills at the last minute or the surprises you find on page 70 of like a 200-page bill. So you have to get very good at – and I don't know how folks did this before – you could search in PDFs, but you got to know your keywords <laughs> and search them quickly. Well, do a I lot just of don't diligence. think
0: that an, on a bond bill, people expected that they were voting as to whether or not eminent domain proceedings could be made more strict in a town or whether or not a town could require a process by which an RTM could look again at a zoning decision. I think if you were looking at that 800-pound gorilla of 800 pages of bill, which you had to look at because mm-hmm. all the legislators did. I honestly wouldn't fault you for not looking for that PDF term.
3: Well, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I heard, you know, and this is why you also, there's text tech, tech, like you have text chains, you, you go around the floor, okay. you ask people. Did you, you know, know I,
0: about that stuff being buried I, in I there? I saw it.
3: You did? I did. And one of the reasons I saw it is because I know that... Um, I've talked with some folks about what's going on in our charter revision in Norwalk. So I tried to keep, you know, I just searched for charter revision.
0: But you didn't vote no on it, did you?
3: No, because it's the bond bill. But also, to be honest, you do your due diligence. And when it came to Westport and Norwalk, I knew by being involved in conversations leading up to that point, this was a very specific point in the bill provision in the bill for Stanford. Except not. It applies to the whole. It does apply to the apply whole, to the whole state, state, but in terms of what it does, they for they were us, aiming at Stanford, correct? But what it does for, say, Norwalk and Westport, I felt confident that it was not going to because affect us, I don't know about Norwalk. At but, least right now,
0: but because Westport already has that procedure. Okay, and because uh, it's sort of grandfathered.
3: Okay, that's good. And in Norwalk, <laughs> yes, for West, but yeah.
0: it's not good for the whole state, Dominique. It was really undemocratic to do that. Well, that
3: got, we got to that point last night. Like, what do we do? <laughs> When we have these provisions that are you know, put into the bill of a budget or a bond bill, um, even some of the things I can say in some of the other bills that became omnibus bills, you really have yes. to see, like, is the bathwater worth Too just dirty. a little bit? Of, yeah. Right. Is it, that's a great analogy. Is it? Or can I deal with this bathwater because this baby is just so important? Mm-hmm.
0: I know. And these are the decisions that you have to make as a legislator. You're given difficult choices to make a lot of times. You, you're... you're you're wanting so much for a certain priority, and then somebody slips something in, and you have to say, oh, how much did I want that versus how much I hate that other thing? I know, and that,
3: that's the low, that can be the low. The hardest mm-hmm. days I had in that building were yeah. the days I had to weigh, and then there were some lines that I felt I couldn't cross in good conscience, and then I had to go to leadership. I had to go to other people and say, what are we going to do? Can we do something about this? And nothing is you know over till it's really, really over, well, is what I've been not told. until it's even over then right.
0: I mean, in other words, you thought something was over because committees had closed and debate had been heard, and then you see the public wasn't involved at all.
3: And that's where we come in. We really have to be that representative in the room for our neighbors. Very
0: disappointing. You know, I'm focusing a lot on Fairfield County, but statewide as well. The fair share thing that came, you were in the House, Mm -hmm. such a heated debate, Mm -hmm. really people becoming immersed in the issues, deciding how they were standing, Uh, John Steinberg coming on our show saying he would filibuster this, and in the end, at 2.30 in the morning, he ends up voting for something that has it in there, admittedly watered down, not what, you know, but still it's in there, and it wasn't what was promised you, it wasn't a study. Well,
3: actually, I have a lot to say about this. Point. Please, At one fifty-eight in the morning, go and I've got the receipts. I got it on YouTube because I felt I literally went over to the, the majority leader's desk and I said, I really think that we need to go on record if this is, in fact, just a study or not. So that's what I did. I asked three very pointed yes or no questions of the chair that was the proponent of the bill on the House floor. It was the housing chair. And fundamentally, I said, you know, I mean, you can play the tape. I was much more to the point at 1.58 in the morning. Things become very clear. Uh, so I, you know, I said this is just a study. There's no impetus. There's no requirement for any municipality to do anything with this at all. Um, answering yes to both, and then lastly, um, it was I wanted to know if you know housing had done similar type of studies. Would this be done in a reputable, objective way? And that the answer he gave was yes. Now to the point, um, this like sin. Plain English. It's a study with no teeth.
0: I hope you're right.
3: Well, I, it's on record to me have the receipts. If it's not, then that's one of the reasons I wanted that on the record so that we could go back to it and say, this is what we were told on the record. So what do we do now? And I think that it, it will come back to the legislature in terms of what do we do with it. Um, fundamentally, and I told I told the leadership of the party this, um, how can you expect me to commit, you know, Norwalk and Westport to a number that I don't even they want that I don't even have? So for me, that was a huge sticking point. And frankly, if it's not good for Norwalk and it's not good for Westport because we just don't have the information and a bunch of different reasons, that's what I'm there to do is to do my due diligence for Norwalk and Westport. I mean, I just – the issue of
0: centralizing land use is such a big issue. And you're going to see it play state? out again and again. Oh, yes. And I know you rep- – and you live in Norwalk, so you love mm-hmm. Norwalk. Of course. And I love Norwalk too. And – uh We've been having Diane Cece on a lot because she represents the ENA, the East Neighborhood Neighborhood Association. And she spends so much time as a volunteer basically trying to inform, inform, inform Mm -hmm. with the idea that if people are informed, maybe they'll act. Right. Right. Maybe they'll have a voice. Right. How – now your role is as a state legislator, but you were on the Common Council in Norwalk, right? Correct. What do you think about – this dialogue of the of the big rezoning of the upzoning of over 250 homes from single to two family what are
3: your thoughts on that i could talk for 30 minutes but i know, you've but got I know three we minutes. don't have it You've got three <laughs> I'll try but you've to, got three. i i've two actually that's what producers say so two. let me try to be okay. very succinct but we'll answer. have you back though okay i'd I <laughs> love it uh, well let me just say this this has been something i think that we've needed to look at our zoning in norwalk okay. for decades that aside right how this is Going down now, I think there are some major concerns that I think folks from across, you know, it, it's it's kind of transcending party at this point in Norwalk. Um, and I think for a variety of reasons. Now, we really do have to weigh um, the fact that Norwalk is one of the most affordable cities in Fairfield County already. And we're mm-hmm. already doing so many things you that are. the state um, has said you all need should, to, be doing. should be doing. Right. We're already right. doing it. So the question for me in my district, because given that, you know, I know that the decisions I make affect all of Norwalk, but for my district in particular, we are very single family zoned. There were very, I looked at the maps immediately when they came out and that the consultants put out. But I'll say this, that there were some of these neighborhoods that could have been or could be converted into dual family housing. And I understand that they're closer to transit, they're closer to uh, commercial, and I think making sure that that we make these decisions in a way that involves the community is going to be very important because people buy their homes. It's one of the biggest investments you can make, and they buy their homes to make sure that it's something that can create intergenerational wealth, and I don't want to do anything. In
0: that strata, it is the single biggest investment they have. They don't usually have anything else. I would imagine.
3: So I think this is why this is so important for us to make sure everyone is heard. I want to also make sure the young people who want to buy a house and can't afford it have options, but I don't think... This is this is not an either or at this point. We just have to be very we have to be very diligent about making sure as many voices are heard in this so as possible. So
0: you are technically right in Hartford now. How and you've got thirty seconds, but are you going to be like at these meetings and involved with a voice? Do you feel like you should be speaking up on this? Is my question?
3: Well, on the council, it was difficult in the sense that when you know they wanted, and I know Diane did a lot of good work on this, when they wanted to put a distribution center at Norton, which is in my district. On the council, we were told, if you say too much, this could be seen as, you're, you're the lawyer. You, Pre-judging. I don't have, yeah, that's right. So this is, I think, another consideration I have to make. Like, would it be seen as that, or how can I help the people in my community? Now, right now, I have a couple emails in my inbox about this very question, and so I've been thinking about how to respond, and I will in the next day or two, to make sure that if there are issues, I can go to planning and zoning and tell them. I think yeah. part of the reason is that I can I have these relationships You're with the You're an advocate. Hall, it's a different thing. It's right. a legislator. It's different. And I can advocate. And so that's what I'm going to plan on doing for anybody, including on this issue. If they have concerns, I want to make sure they're heard. Dominique Johnson, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for coming in the studio.
0: Pleasure to get to know you better. We'll have you on again. I'd love that. Thank you, Lisa. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Tomorrow is Friday. It's the kindness of strangers. And I think it's just you and me tomorrow. It's Eric Erickson from 12 to 2 and from 2 to 6. Paul Pacelli with Connecticut Today. I'm at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. Don't forget the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Giggy Palmer.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.